0: Alright, welcome, welcome everybody to another episode of the final, final podcast here. Thanks for tuning in to listen once again. Up to episode number 10 now with this podcast, which is very exciting. What of course isn't exciting at this point is we still don't have sports back in the fold quite yet, but it's looking up. Looks like we're getting closer to that being a reality, and I'll talk about that and, and try to catch up and see where we are at this point with sports versus the coronavirus, and the nation versus the coronavirus. I mean, MLB, NBA, NFL, European soccer, Korean baseball even, NASCAR, you name it. Um, They're all looking to get back up to speed here with sports and uh, the coronavirus. But I'm going to start this episode off with the release of the 2020 NFL schedule last week, Thursday or Friday, I can't remember at this point. We already knew every team's opponents, who they were going to play. That was released earlier this year. But now we know when they're going to play set opponents. Is it going to be on a short week? Is it going to be Monday, Sunday, or Thursday night football? What week during the season? Is it week two or is it week 13, 14? All of that. So I, I really want to share with you some of my, uh, with some of the most intriguing games or exciting games that I'm looking forward to this upcoming season, hopefully. I've chosen 15 games just right now that I'm looking forward to. I'm definitely excited for more than just those 15, but I thought I'd try to limit it a little bit at this point. Um, These are just some that when I looked at the schedule and I wrote down some of the more intriguing matchups, that kind of stood out to me a little bit here. So we'll start with the beginning of the season. We'll go all the way down. Week 17, of course, has some great conference matchups too that could determine divisions such as the nfc north is one for sure nfc east is another one the nfc south i mean just a lot of competitive divisions this year which will be exciting so week 17 is always good but starting the season off right with week one i mean we have two awesome matchups and it starts with the first game of the 2020 season houston at kansas city a rematch of the 2019 divisional round playoffs between the texans and kansas city I mean, this round, though, I mean, Houston will obviously be missing DeAndre Hopkins, and it'll be our first uh, look at how Deshaun Watson and the Texans prepare and come out to play without DeAndre Hopkins for the first time in, I don't know how many, has he been in the league six or seven years at least? Either way. so And then, of course, we get to see the reigning champs, Kansas City. Really fun AFC matchup that could potentially be another AFC playoff matchup We get it right here in week one. And then the other one too, Tampa Bay and New Orleans. They throw that one at us right in week one as well. We get that one twice this year at least, so that'll be fun. Drew Brees, Tom Brady, our first look, Tom Brady with his new weapons in Tampa Bay. It'll be in the Superdome as well, so that'll be really interesting to watch week one. Week two then, this matchup that I liked. Here's my third one, is Baltimore at the Texans. Man, Houston just has a brutal schedule right off right out of the gate with weeks one and two no question about it and they've got a lot of other tough matchups as well I see they play Green Bay at one point I mean Houston's got a pretty tough schedule this year it looks like but either way Baltimore and Houston Lamar Jackson Deshaun Watson two of the more exciting young quarterbacks in this league we'll see what Lamar Jackson and the Ravens can do to complement their 14 and 2 season last year hopefully they can continue that. Lamar Jackson coming off of his MVP season as well. So week two has a fun matchup there. There's one team that I that I really thought was going to be fun to watch this year, but I don't know how much excitement there's going to be in the stadium now that fans most likely won't be there. I mean, there's, that's still a while away. We could see some fans in there, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But the Las Vegas Raiders were a team that I was kind of excited to watch, especially on some of their... Monday night or primetime matchups. I believe they've got either four or five. But week two, they have New Orleans at Las Vegas for Monday night football. So, I mean, just the new stadium that the Raiders have would definitely have been exciting to see on a primetime stage like that. But I don't know how much excitement it'll be now that there might not be fans in the stands. So that's one that I've kind of like removing from some of my like exciting games to watch is the Raiders unfortunately because of the situation that we're in but then we go to week three two more really good matchups green bay at the saints that'll be a fun one aaron Rodgers versus drew Brees in the superdome that's that'll be a tough test for green bay early on in the season kansas city then at baltimore on monday night football we saw this matchup last year in the regular season this is the matchup everybody wanted to see in the postseason in the afc championship game we didn't get that one of course but either way, you get the reigning two MVPs in Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. So this will be a good one early in the season, too. See, a game like this, this is a game that I wish we could see maybe like week 14 or week 13 if we could. That, it could be a game that decides the number one seed in the AFC at this point. Because now, remember the new league rules, There's going to be seven teams in the playoffs from both the NFC and the AFC. That means only one bye week for each team for each conference excuse me so that means kansas city or baltimore could be fighting for that number one seed we get the matchup at least it's week three this is one of those games that i wish would have been in like week 13 or 14 which would have been cool so then i go to week six so i think this is going to be my fifth game yeah this no this is my sixth game of of my top 15 green bay at tampa bay we get an aaron Rodgers versus a Tom Brady game this year, and it comes in week six. Green Bay, a couple of tough road games here. So that'll be fun, though, Aaron Rodgers. And we'll see if Tom Brady and his weapons are definitely on page at this point, on the same page at this point when it comes to week six. I mean, week one, when we have Tampa Bay at New Orleans, you could expect some miscommunication possibly between Tom Brady and, say, Mike Evans or Chris Godwin. Hopefully by week six, that's all solved, and we'll have possibly a shootout in week six with Green Bay and Tampa Bay. Week seven then, Green Bay at Houston. Like I said, Houston just has a brutal schedule this year, but Green Bay has some fun opponents as well coming up there. So Green Bay at Houston, Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers. A lot of these are all about the quarterback matchups, but Green Bay coming to Houston. I mean, J.J. Watt growing up as a Packers fan, so that'll be fun to see him try and get after Aaron Rodgers as well. So we'll see how that one goes too. Week nine, Another Green Bay game. I know, just a little bias here, but don't worry. It, it's it's still a good game. I'm sure everybody's excited for this one. Green Bay at San Francisco. A rematch of the NFC Championship game last year. San Francisco just running all over the Packers in the NFC Championship game. I believe it was Mostert with over 200 yards and four touchdowns. We get this one on Thursday night. So a big-time, prime-time game between Green Bay and San Francisco. So that'll be an exciting one to watch. Week 10 then, the next week, we get San Francisco at the Saints. So we saw this matchup last year, which was one of the best games of the year, I believe, where it was, what was the score? Maybe like 45-42 or 48-45. Remember how it came down to uh, George Kittle just going beast mode on the Saints defense getting the 49ers down in field goal position and the 49ers ended up winning on a last second field goal. That was one of the best games of the year last year. We get that one again in the season, same as last year. So San Francisco at New Orleans. We go down to the Thanksgiving weekend. Then we get Kansas City at Tampa Bay. So we still get a Patrick Mahomes versus a Tom Brady game. This one in Tampa Bay, AFC versus NFC this time. So this might be the only time we get to see them unless both teams make the Super Bowl. Possible Super Bowl preview, of course. So that's a game everybody will be super excited for as well. We go to Week 13. Here's one that a lot of people have mentioned, but it's definitely one of the most intriguing games for me. Cincinnati at Miami, Week 13. So you'll have Joe Burrow for Cincinnati. By Week 13, I think we'll see Tua Tagovailoa as the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. So you get Burrow and Tug of Iloa, matchup that we saw in college. Now we get to see it in the pros in their rookie seasons. Hopefully they're both healthy and can be playing at that time. Not necessarily two powerhouse teams, most likely this upcoming season. But still, I think that'll be a really intriguing and fun one to watch come later in the season as well, for sure. Week 16 then, we go Tennessee at Green Bay, so two teams that made the championship games of their respective conferences. We get that one on a Sunday night. Derrick Henry versus the Green Bay Rush defense, which was one of the worst last year, and they didn't necessarily address it yet. So we'll see if the Packers, by Week 16, have that figured out in some capacity. Otherwise, Derrick Henry could go crazy in that game. But that'll be a fun one, two teams that were... One game away from the Super Bowl, matching up late in the season. Also, Philadelphia at Dallas in Week 16. This was a game that I thought could be a Week 17 game that possibly decides the division between these two teams. Week 16 is fine. they It's still late in the season, and of course, that's how a lot of these games are. But in Jerry World, Week 16, Philadelphia-Dallas, I think this is the game that will basically decide the NFC East division. So that one's going to be exciting to watch. And then Week 17... Seattle at San Francisco. I chose this one instead of, I think they play week eight as well. But this is the one that's going to be almost the same as last year where it the, excuse me, decides the NFC West. And we saw how that was decided last year on the one yard line between the 49ers and the Seahawks. So that's going to be an interesting one. I think that was 14. One other team that's really intriguing that I would like to watch, whichever is their best game, is going to be the Arizona Cardinals for me because i'm excited to see kyler murray with deandre hopkins larry fitzgerald still as their number two receiver now he doesn't have to necessarily carry the load as the number one guy could be a resurgence for him i mean he hasn't dropped off at all in recent seasons but now with maybe not as much focus on him with the number one corner he could be even better now at this stage in his career so the arizona cardinals kyler murray DeAndre Hopkins, their defense improving when they got Isaiah Simmons as well. So they're an intriguing team. I'd like to see them go up against San Francisco or Seattle, either one of those games, just to see how they match up with their division and see where they kind of stand if, if they're moving forward there. So those are some of the more exciting games that I'm looking forward to with this upcoming 2020 NFL season. A lot of great matchups, just some of them. A lot of those big games are just some that I wish would happen later in the season, especially with, so like Baltimore at Houston or Kansas City at Baltimore. Those are some that I wish would happen later in the season because we're not sure what kind of offseason program we're really going to get for some of these teams. So maybe later in the season we get a better matchup than early in the season when some of these teams might be rusty. Who knows if we'll even have preseason games at this point. But a lot of good matchups either way. And I'm excited for the season to start coming around. Hopefully it goes on schedule and and maybe we'll even have some fans in the stands for some of these big games. But let's go ahead and move on now to the coronavirus and how some of these teams are planning around it, fans included, whether there'll be some in the stands. But the big question is when will some of these sports, MLB, NBA, be able to return to action since they've suspended play back in, I think it was early March, maybe the middle of March, around March 15th, March 13th, or something like that. Either way, teams have been waiting for a chance to restart their leagues in a safe way, most likely without fans. The first one that I'll talk about right now is the MLB. MLB actually sent out a proposal to players to try and get the league restarted and bring baseball back. I'll read some of the highlights from the proposal, and then I'll discuss them from there. So some of the big some of the big highlights from from their proposal to the players, a 50/50 split of revenue from the 2020 season. This year, an 82 game season instead of 162 normally what they have. a mid-June spring training. So I think they're trying to get this proposal passed sooner rather than later, of course. But so then they can have a mid-June spring training and then an early July opening day. I'm wondering if they're trying to shoot for maybe like a July 4th opening day, which would be something that would be uh, pretty cool. 14 teams in the postseason instead of 10, so that way they can have more postseason games come October and such like that with more teams. Games played in home stadiums where it's allowed, so they're not necessarily going to do that bubble idea That has been talked about before where they play in one state, whether it's Arizona or Florida or something like that. So then they want a designated hitter in both the AL and NL. I don't know what that's for. Maybe they're just trying to get that change for the National League and then have designated hitters once we get back to regular baseball. I don't know about it. So then games against only divisional and regional opponents. So, for example, the National League Central would play their division, the National League Central, and then they would also play the American League Central. So the Brewers play the Cubs, the Cardinals, teams like that. They also play the Twins, the Indians, teams all in the Midwest region kind of deal. So that's one thing they try to do. And then no fans in the stadiums to begin the season. So they're not ruling out fans throughout the entire season or even when it comes to the postseason, but to begin the season, they're they're saying no fans. So they have about two to three weeks to figure this deal out, they're saying. And the biggest obstacle at this point is the money with the 50-50 revenue split. A lot of players don't want to take pay cuts. I mean, we've heard Blake Snell said he's not playing unless he gets paid his full 2020 contract. Some other players, I think, is it maybe Bryce Harper that's come out and said similar things about the money. Players are like, we're the ones that have to go out there not have to. We're the ones that would be going out there to play, risking ourselves getting this virus kind of deal. So why would we take less money if there's more risk? It's just, it's kind of interesting how how we see it like this. Some players are willing to play, I believe. I don't know. The the other big thing too, so money is one thing that these two are separate on with this 50-50 revenue split, players taking less money, either way. The other big thing that we have to consider too is what happens if a player tests positive for the coronavirus while playing. So one thing that they have talked about is the or the Major League Baseball has set up a lab in Utah, I believe, that they've helped bring up to speed on coronavirus testing. They'd be testing players multiple times per week. And then if one player tests positive or shows symptoms and stuff like that, they quarantine him until he passes two tests that he doesn't have the coronavirus. So they quarantine him until that. They also test the players around him. But what they're what they're all trying to do, all these teams are trying to do at this point, is trying to solve the problem of how they don't have to shut down if just one or a couple of players test positive for the coronavirus. How can they handle it without shutting down? So the, the, the question is the tolerance level, Because you can't shut down forever is what they're trying to say. And not one positive test can't be – they can't shut down every time there's one positive test is what they're trying to get at. So how do you solve that? That's what they're trying to figure out at this point. Where is the threshold of, okay, this guy tested positive. Let's get him the treatment. Let's test him. Let's make sure his teammates are still good. If they're all still fine, we can continue to play. They're able to get rapid testing, which is something that they're all trying to do. One reason these teams haven't started up at this point, they could get rapid testing right now if they wanted to, but the reason they haven't to this point is because they don't want to take away from the needs that are prevalent in major cities like New York, where this is, they don't want to take away from those people helping the other communities. They don't want to be selfish and (laughs) just have it for baseball so that we can play baseball at this point. So... That's what they're trying to solve at this point for the MLB is how do we continue to play if one player tests positive? And then, of course, there's the money thing that still has to be solved. The, the How do we continue to play if, if one player tests positive is something that both the MLB, NBA, all these major sports leagues are still trying to figure out as well. One example that the MLB has kind of been looking at and trying to follow is the Korean Baseball League the Korean Baseball Organization, I'm sorry, the KBO, it's actually been on ESPN early in the mornings, I think at like one o'clock or midnight here on the West Coast. I've actually watched a couple of games. It's kind of funny. But one thing I've noticed is, is that, of course, there's no fans in the stands. The first game I watched, I think it was opening day of, of the KBO. They didn't have any fans in the stands. Now they've actually got not necessarily cardboard cutouts, but they've got some sort of fake fans behind home plate, and that's about it. Then they've got big tarps in the outfield and such like that. I don't know if it's their cheerleading team or their cheer team, or I don't know what they call them in the KBO, but they're now in the stadiums cheering very loudly just uh, behind, I believe it's the home team's dugout, but I don't know what, uh, what that necessarily is. I don't believe it's fans, but either way. Right now, it's, it's, it's interesting to watch without fans. There's not a ton of excitement. The players still are playing good baseball what I've, from what I've been seeing in the KBO. So that's something that the MLB can look at as well when they're trying to open up and what it'll be kind of like without fans in the stands. So we'll see how that goes from there. The NBA is also looking, looking to return sooner rather than later. I think they're looking at a two- to four-week period right now at this point. There's optimism from both the executives and the players on return to play. Some facilities are actually opening up for teams to have distance practicing. I think the Lakers will be opening up this upcoming Saturday, which I think is tomorrow. Some other states, Florida, Arizona, a lot of other states have already opened up their practice facilities, I believe. So I think it's right now they're thinking that possibly a month or so before they can return to play in an isolated environment to play. I don't think they'll be playing in in home arenas they'll be playing in an isolated kind of scenario at this point is what they're looking at so that'll be really interesting to see especially without fans Um, but right now they're waiting until the last minute that they can with all the information that they'll be able to gather before kind of making an irreversible decision so the the question then becomes does this mean there's going to be a new start date for the next nba season which I've discussed before, and I think that's possibly what they're looking at of if they're able to finish the season out, possibly in August, then the next season will be starting most likely in December, where maybe it just starts around Christmas Day, and then we have that permanent move from the NBA starting in October to now it starts around Christmas, and then it kind of has its own schedule or opening in the schedule between the NBA and the MLB. Everybody will be focused on base or uh, basketball in the summer nobody really i mean people kind of look at baseball at the beginning of the season then there's the huge lull over the long summer months that could be when basketball kind of takes the spotlight they can have their christmas games which are always fun the ncaa takes its turn in march and then come playoff time for basketball the nba they uh they take the spotlight so that could possibly be a permanent move then for the nba the one thing that they're looking at is, of course, testing needs to be done routinely since this is a more closely contact sport. These guys are sweating, bumping up against each other, stuff like that. Not necessarily the same as baseball, but needs to be done more routinely, such as like daily or at least like every other day they're thinking about, but they don't want to take away from the needed testing, like I said. Same thing with baseball at this point. The players were just all on a call recently, and they said they want to get this They'd they'd rather finish out the season than cancel it, of course, so they're trying to get that going. European soccer, I believe, is starting up soon. I don't necessarily know when they will begin, but I know they're starting up, I think, within the month most likely. So we'll see another one. NASCAR is actually going to be having a race this upcoming weekend. Kind of big for NASCAR. They'll have the spotlight to themselves. Everybody will get to see what it'll look like. I mean, other major sports leagues. We'll see what it's like, how they handle the coronavirus and how they handle kind of more people in one location. So I believe it's, where is it, Darlington that they're going to be racing this upcoming weekend. So we'll see how that kind of works out for them. See if other major sports leagues, the MLB, the NBA can kind of take notes. It's not necessarily going to be the same, of course, because NASCAR is a much more isolated sport where these guys are in their individual cars. The guys in the pits are already, already wearing all that protective gear, helmets, and stuff like that, so it might not necessarily be the same, but we'll see if they can take anything away from that. The NFL season so far, right now everything is still on course. Of course, they released the 2020 schedule, which I went over. Right now they're having a virtual offseason, which I believe they've extended to the end of June maybe, or maybe it was the end of May. I don't know what they've what they've extended to at this point. Right now, no fans to begin the stadiums, but there's been talk about virtual fans being added, either by the home team, like whether they can pump crowd noise into the stadium possibly for the players while they're playing. Also, the broadcast team, so Fox, CBS, NBC, they pump in crowd noise maybe from their broadcast. They're thinking about adding virtual fans. I know Joe Buck has taken a lot of heat recently because he said there will be but then he kind of, I don't know if he reversed track and said they're trying their best or trying their hardest to add virtual fans and that they can add in crowd noise if they wanted to. So we'll see if if that maybe like helps it. I don't know how it helps the players. The virtual fans, they obviously won't see. But I wonder if teams, home teams, pump in crowd noise from the speakers sometimes, if that'll help replace some of it. Some of the owners, I believe it was the Carolina Panthers owner, David Tepper, said that there might be able to be fans in the stands, not full capacity, but it's a large stadium so they could possibly have fans, some fans in the stands when the season starts. So we'll see if that's something that can possibly uh, come around to and, and hopefully we'll be able to have some fans in the stands during these football games. The one thing that I'm thinking about when it comes to fans too is these NBA games is like think of games, think of all the Game 7 NBA Finals games that you've watched in how close some of these matchups can be, how intense the fans are, and how much that really hypes up some of these players. If that's not going to be there for this NBA Finals, I wonder how that kind of affects it. So that's one thing to consider too. But for football at least, they've thought about it where they'll be able to pump in some crowd noise. I don't know if that'll be a thing for the NBA. But we'll see. Hopefully all this can get started up in the next month or so, at least for the MLB and the NBA, and then maybe we'll have some live sports. All right, so let's move on to the Michael Jordan documentary or the the Bulls documentary, The Last Dance. I'll catch up a little bit from, I think the last time I talked about this was Episodes 1 and 2, so I've got Episodes 3 through 8 to talk about. At this point, we've seen Jordan's retirement. Actually, we've seen Jordan work his way up into winning his first title, getting past the Detroit Pistons, working his way past the Los Angeles Lakers and stuff like that, winning his first title. So then Jordan retires. We saw Jordan's father's death, Jordan in baseball, and then Jordan returns for the 1996 season where the Bulls go, 72-10 that year. So some of the take, well, just first kind of after, off that recap there, the thing that kind of I didn't really know about at all was when Jordan retired or why he retired the first time after the 1993 NBA championship, His dad died, I believe, it was around August, and how much of a toll that took on Michael Jordan and all the media heat that he was taking at that time. And then, of course, there was some of the speculation that his father's death possibly had something to do with his gambling problem. So, I mean, people were trying to knock Jordan off this pedestal. So he's like, you know what? I don't need this anymore. I've got my three championships. I'm going to retire. So that was a really interesting series of events to kind of learn about. That's something I never knew about Michael Jordan was that when he retired in 1993, that his father had died just before he announced his retirement. I didn't know. I mean, I knew about the gambling. I didn't know that it was so highly scrutinized in the papers, in in the media and such like that, which makes me think, how would Jordan kind of handle his social media at the time of his fame? and? And rise which is one of my takeaways that i took from it but anyways these are just things that i didn't know about michael jordan like i knew he retired of course i knew he went and played baseball that wasn't necessarily what i was super interested in because i didn't know how much they would dive into that since this was more about the bulls and michael jordan instead of just michael jordan and his baseball career kind of thing but i didn't know all of that leading up to his retirement in 1993 then when he comes back wins that 1996 nba title with the 72 and 10 bulls the emotion that he showed after winning that and his dad wasn't there and they keep showing those images of his dad celebrating with him which was which was really cool so that was something that was really cool to watch and and learn about from michael jordan something that i didn't really know really humanizing the michael jordan character which was really interesting and then of course the The 1991, 92 season when he won his first NBA championship, how the Chicago Bulls kind of their 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 sole focus was to get past the Detroit Pistons, and that was everything on their mind at that point. Just the sheer determination from them, that was really cool to watch too. Is just uh, Michael Jordan at his at his height of needing to win and, and getting to the NBA championship. So some of my takeaways that I really liked. So that leading into that one right there, the sacrifice for Michael Jordan versus a leadership versus what everybody has been calling or was calling at the time and now has kind of brought it back up again is his leadership style of was it kind of more bullying than that. And it it shows that Jordan was really willing to do anything to win and and you can can hold some of his methods against him, but he, he really doesn't care. He was willing to do whatever it took to get past the Detroit Pistons to win that NBA championship. Didn't matter if he had to hurt his his teammates' feelings. Didn't matter if they hated him for it. He was going to either push them and push himself to get past them to win, which was was really interesting to see. And that kind of leads me into my next takeaway, is that I like that Michael Jordan kind of stays true to his actions from back when they happened. So he doesn't regret anything that he did. He'll give you his explanation for it, which... From there, you can decide whether you like it or not. So he'll say, yeah, I I ripped on this guy. I did this and that. I did this because I did, had to do whatever I needed to do to win or get my team pumped up, get myself ready to play, which I don't think he ever needed anything. So it's really funny when they show something, someone saying, oh, Michael Jordan can't do this. I could do this and he can't. I thought that was funny whenever they show that and then Michael would have... Either a spectacular game, a spectacular series. I always thought that was really funny. But staying true to his actions or his his words and stuff that he spoke back then, they show him what he said back then, and then he'll maybe watch the video, and he's like, "Yeah, that that's what I did, and, and here's why." I kind of find I found that admirable. Kind of love it or not, he wasn't gonna change anything about it. So that's what I I found. I I'm glad that he didn't say yeah, I did this, but what it really meant to be was he wasn't, like, backtracking. He stuck to it, even now, which I found interesting. Especially with, like, say, the Detroit Pistons, when they beat them finally to get to the NBA Finals, and the Pistons just walked off the court, didn't shake hands, when usually, I mean, we see that all the time after the series. Once it's finished, whoever gets to four games first, we see them all like, hey, congratulations, good luck kind of deal. The Detroit Pistons didn't do that when the Bulls finally beat them. I mean, Jordan didn't back down from what he said back then, and, and he's still like hold, held up to it today. I don't know if Isaiah Thomas really backtracked a little bit. He actually said I think he would do it differently, but, I mean, he didn't at the time, so that's something that's kind of uh, torn those two that could have been friends apart. And then you get to the dream team scenario where Isaiah wasn't on the dream team. But, I mean, the dream team was, was fun to learn about too. But all of it still, it's it's really cool to uh, learn all this behind the scenes stuff. Jordan really doesn't care what others are thinking, at least what I, I'm getting from this, which is I like as well from him that he's he's kind of not necessarily blocking out that noise, but he doesn't really care what you think of him. He's going to do what he needs to do to win, which is what I took away from, from a big portion of this documentary. So that's all leading up to this finale on Sunday, episodes nine and ten. So we'll get to my final thought then on today's episode, which is episodes 9 and 10 of the Jordan documentary, kind of what I'm looking for or what I expect it to be about. It all obviously accumulates into the 1998, or is it 1997, 98, whichever his last championship was. I think it all accumulates into that, winning his sixth ring, because it's called The Last Dance, which was that. But something that I kind of really want to know about is Jordan's second retirement and him coming back in, I think it was 2001, I believe, to play for the Wizards. Something I want to know is if there was anything that would have brought him back to the Bulls and they possibly could have went for another, maybe a seventh championship or something like that. I kind of want to know what he's thinking now on if he would do something differently about that and continue to play. I know Phil Jackson wasn't going to be the coach, but maybe he goes to the owner and says okay, you get me, if Phil Jackson's not going to be the coach, I need this coach, and then I'll be able to stay. Or if if it was Phil Jackson or die, I mean, that's what I've seen at this point, but I just want to know if now, if he kind of regrets it because they go out, they win that sixth NBA championship, and then he retires after that. So that's something that I'm kind of interested to learn for episodes 9 and 10 of this documentary series, which will be airing this Sunday. So that'll be really fun to watch and discuss on my next podcast episode. No question about it. But we'll see. Really interesting. I'm, I'm loving this documentary. I didn't think, I mean, I knew I'd like it a lot, but I didn't think I would be this glued to it. I mean, you see all these people who are fans of Michael Jordan. am not saying I'm not a fan of Michael Jordan, but people that are diehard Michael Jordan fans, which I'm not, who are, of course, glued to this and, and loving it. But I didn't think I would like it this much as much as they did, but I've, I'm loving this documentary, no question about it right now. All right, so then final, final thought on today's episode of the Final Final Podcast. One thing that I want to do now that we have the NFL schedule release, I kind of want to do every team's record and go conference by conference and division by division starting next week. So what I'm going to try and do is predict, not predict, but give my thoughts on all 256 games what each team's record will be by the end of the season, which seven teams from each conference will see in the playoffs. I won't do playoff games because that's just too far. I'll just do the regular season for now. But that's something that I'm going to try and have ready by next week. And then I'll go division by division for each podcast episode, what I think their record will be and and how it'll show from that. So that's something I'm going to be working on this upcoming week. That's something that I'm kind of excited about as well. I also got to get back to my NFL all-time 100-team running backs is going to be up next, so I'll hopefully be able to do that next week as well and tell you why Ladanian Tomlinson should definitely be on that list. So that is all I have for you today on this episode of the Final Final Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Quick shout-out, today is May 15th that I'm recording this. Happy birthday to my younger brother Cole. Just graduated from Madison as well, so super proud of that. Hopefully I'll be able to celebrate with him sooner rather than later whenever i can go home from this coronavirus pandemic but either way happy birthday congrats cole on graduating all right that's all i have everyone stay safe stay sane out there during this pandemic thanks for listening once again and that is the final final